I don't know how you could keep walking after seeing APL. I mean, for me, uh, it, it was the character set. It's so beautiful. APL is just beautiful. Um, Stephen, you under you know what I'm talking about, right? It's just it's just a it's a beautiful, you know, uh, I, yeah. I I I I think a certain number of us, including Arthur Whitney, I won't have a APL character set envy. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of ArrayCast. I'm your host, Connor, and today we have a special guest who I am super excited to interview. But before we get to introducing him, we're going to go around and do brief introductions, and then we've got a short announcement from Adam. So first we'll go to Bob, then to Stephen, and then to Adam. I'm Bob Terrio, and I am a J enthusiast, currently working on the J Wiki. At least I should be. I've sort of been working on another project for a bit, but I'm going to be back at it soon, and uh, we're making progress with it, and it's a lot of fun. And if you're interested in being sort of on the ground floor of building something, the J Wiki is a really good place to be right now. I'm Stephen Taylor. I'm an APLer from way back, and these days I do most of my coding in Q, and I'm the KX librarian. I'm Adam Brzezowski. And APL from not so far back, full time for dialogue. And I guess I can, in that connection, say that uh, on Thursday and Friday, the 5th and 6th of May, uh, both the Finnish user group and the German user group uh, are having their spring meetings. And we'll have links in the show notes to those. You can sign up for those. They can both be attended in person and at least partially online as well. Awesome. So yeah, we'll have links for that in the uh, show notes of all of our episodes, um, as usual. And uh, last but not least, I'm your host, Connor. Uh, I'm a professional C++ developer, but I'm a huge array language enthusiast and combinator enthusiast at large, and uh, super excited to talk to our guest today, uh, who actually uh, kind of shares the same name as one of our panelists, uh, a different spelling. But uh, So we have Stephen Taylor, who's our panelist, and our guest today is Stephen Apter. And I will do a brief introduction because I actually know much less about uh, Stephen Apter than our other panelist, Stephen Taylor, knows because I think they've known each other for quite some time. I first came across um, Stephen Apter's name, or, or more accurately, his website, which was www.nsl.com, which uh, when I stumbled across this website, I sort of fell off my chair because uh, NSL stands for No Stinking Loops. And any of our CP, our C++ programmers will know why this is um, sort of uh, funny, because in the C++ community, there is a um, sort of famous quote for some definition of the word famous uh, called no raw loops, which was popularized by Sean Parent, who works at Adobe. And um, so that's sort of like an aphorism or a witticism that exists in the C++ community. And I actually bought the domain to uh, knowrawloops.com. And so when I stumbled across this, I was like, what? Like I was falling in love with array languages and then came across another website that exists and they just were one different or one word different. Um, anyways, on this website are a ton of uh, different links, some of them to projects, some of them to YouTube videos, some of them to different websites, um, mostly focusing around K, the different variants, K3, all the way up to K9. And uh, yeah, Stephen Apter, I've heard his name both from Stephen Taylor and from Arthur Whitney, has done a ton of work around the K language, currently works at uh, 1010data.com, which I think he'll tell us a little bit uh, about more later. Um, but with that said, I'll throw it to Stephen Taylor, um, who can give a sort of uh, more in-depth introduction than, than I can. Oh, I don't know that this is going to be more in-depth, 
but um, let me take let me take you back to the very first Batman movie, the one with Michael Keaton and um, and, and and Jack Nicholson, because Stephen is definitely a eminent figure in the array programming community in the Iversonian languages, and there's a moment of wonder in that Batman movie where Jack Nicholson's character, the Joker, just stares at whatever it is that Batman's doing. He says, where does he get all those wonderful toys? And Stephen's code kind of evokes that reaction from people reading his stuff. How does he think of these things? How how could he possibly know that would work? So I'm excited to have him as our guest here on the show today, and I'm hoping to learn a lot more about Kay than I've ever known. Um, and, and I'm particularly interested in the relationship between Q, which I do use, and K, which I don't. So with that, I think we'll throw it now to you, Stephen Apter. Uh, feel free to jump back as far as you want to go and give us the brief history of Stephen Apter um, from, from anything you'd want to share with us. Well, well th- thank you. First of all, thank you to all of you for inviting me. And thanks for that wonderful introduction. Uh, so now I'll disappoint everybody by revealing the, the, the truth, the, the actual truth. Um, I, uh, let's see, brief, brief uh, biography. Um, I was a uh, fine arts major in college. Uh, I had a, uh, I had a, 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 a teacher advisor who said, uh, you know, why are you wasting your time with paint and canvas? Why don't you go learn some programming and uh, you can do some interesting work with uh, EAT at MIT. Uh, and uh, so I, I dropped out of college. I went to Control Data Institute. Some of you may, re- may remember this vocational school started up by Control Data Corporation. And I spent 10 months learning how to program in RPG and BAL. And, and uh, uh, so and you know, c- captured my imagination. Um, I took a, um, I took a job uh, with National Science Foundation uh, as a computer programmer slash operator aboard an Antarctic research vessel. Uh, and spent two years in the Antarctic uh, programming uh, and babysitting an IBM 1130, a wonderful machine. Um, and in the course of that voyage, that, 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 uh, that, that employment, um, I learned APL, we had an APL interpreter, APL 1130, and that was fascinating. So um, after that stint, I went back to college and spent some time, uh, including uh, several years as a graduate student at Princeton in the philosophy department, and uh, then returned to programming and uh, for- was fortunate enough to secure an APL job with Harcourt Brace Yovanovitch in their management sciences slash OR operations research department. And, uh, and again, that was a wonderful experience because it taught me something about business, which I didn't, I didn't know anything about it, how, how businesses operate. And uh, I had a wonderful advisor uh, from uh, was a, an alumnus of um, Institute for Advanced Studies, uh, a colleague of Nash, actually. His name is Carl Heimowitz. And Carl, again, taught me the difference between theory and practice, something I needed to learn after four or five years in, in philosophy. Um, 
And, uh, and, and I made my living thereafter as an APL programmer until meeting Arthur Whitney at um, Morgan Stanley, where he had developed A+. And um, I worked with Arthur, uh, got to know him, uh, and uh, it was a, a significant um, uh, event in my life uh, since Arthur taught me uh, how to look at programming, how to think about it. And, um, and uh, of course, uh, Arthur has, I mean, apart from his, um, his incredible skills as an implementer uh, of, and designer, he's tremendously fertile imagination. I mean, Arthur uh, has insights into, into uh, the, the nature of algorithms and, and, and programming languages that I think are, I think those insights are unique. Uh, but I, I, I uh, particularly, um, uh, uh, I, I'm, uh, it, it was rather his, um, I, uh, his ideas about what you could throw away, what you didn't require. So coming from APL, especially um, APL2 and Sharp APL, um, where, which seemed to me to be to represent um, the uh, the best solutions to the problems that APL 360, the limitations of APL 360, Arthur had this remarkable um, insight uh, that 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 you, there was there were other ways to 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 uh, enhance the power of APL 360. So we talk about that some other time. I'm not even sure I'm the best person to, to talk about it. So, um, and uh, so then I became, uh, I guess, a, an itinerant uh, K programmer. Oh, oh yes, K. Um, when, uh, when Arthur left Morgan Stanley to form Atlantis Software to develop the first version of K, um, we stayed on at, uh, at, at, at Morgan and eventually joined him, a group of us joined him at uh, UBS where the what what we now know of as k3 or you know, the, the the last version of that idiom that that was that that dialect of, of, of k was developed and we had a, a two or three years uh, at UBS where where we had a captive audience we had the entire American branch of UBS uh, uh, in our 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 uh, CTO was David Weiss. Uh, the uh, head of the fixed income um, was Joel Kaplan, and so we had a chance to not just develop the language, but a kind of a laboratory of like application opportunities, and that was fascinating. Uh, and that um, it was there that uh, I wrote a. Um, uh, I, I would. Uh, UBS uh, used uh, Sybase extensively, and um, a, as you know, the K3 doesn't have the database primitives, uh, select and join and things like that. So my um, one of my um, tasks there was to develop uh, the uh, first version of what I guess KDB, um, but it wasn't KDB. It was an attempt to exactly duplicate SQL 92. And that was fun. Uh, 
Uh, so from there, after UBS, uh, you know, various uh, jobs in the finance industry. And now, currently, for the last six or seven years, I've been working at 1010 Data, which is um, a um, which uh, where we do uh, basically big data applications um, for um, various various domains. And uh, so that's the biography. I hope that didn't take up too much time. Oh no. Oh, I Wow. No. So this is like similar to when I can, there's a couple of guests where this has happened. I think Eric Iverson was one of them where like, that was like, I, I, I've, uh, that was so amazing. I was like, that's like better than like watching Marvel movies for me is hearing about, uh, which maybe doesn't make sense. Seems very prosaic <laughs> to me. Uh, I, I, I mean, you know, of course I lived it. I mean, so, you, you, know. you, you start with, uh, I was a fine arts major and already I'm like, wait, what? What? Okay. Not, didn't expect this. And then you'd talk about how you had a professor. I'm not sure if that was an actual fine arts professor or was a different professor that well, encouraged yeah, you. Yeah, it was, a, it was a fellow from MIT who uh, had been using computers to design sculpture. In fact, the first, it's really kind of interesting. When I, when I, when I went to Control Data Institute, which was, I, I, I mean, I, I think it's marvelous. I'm a huge fan of vocational college, vocational schools and vocational training. I think uh, for some people at, at, all, at, all, at all talent and intelligence levels, vocational school is just a wonderful thing where you, you go to learn a very narrow, well-defined set of skills, very practical set of skills. And so the, the, the teachers they hired at Control Data Institute were all professional programmers. Now remember, this is 1969. I mean, there weren't that many programmers around, and some of them were like veterans. I mean, why we 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 were introduced to 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 the wiring plug boards on card sorting machines, terrific stuff. And uh, the first language we learned was RPG. Do you remember RPG, Report Program Generator? It's a it was a designed to do very, uh, it was, I don't want to say it was declarative, declarative language, but you wouldn't recognize it as a, an algorithmic programming language. So, so it was like a primitive kind of COBOL. And my first application in RPG was, uh, was designing geometrical patterns for three-dimensional sculpture. It was great. <laughs> it's probably the set the pattern for my life as a programmer. Yeah, I think we'll we'll have to find the the link to the Wikipedia page for RPG. I've been told about it once, and I looked into it, and it reminded me of, um, yeah, I can't remember sort of those COBOL like all of the screens you see of it. It looks like it's on some DOS box or what I think of as a DOS box, which actually used to be a DOS computer at one point, but they don't yeah. make those anymore. Anyway, so yeah, we could, I, I, I feel like I have a thousand questions, but I, um, I, I'll pause and, and wait, uh, wait my turn. Cause I feel like, uh, unless if, unless if no one else has one ready to go, um, <laughs> then I'll just go ahead. I, I just think it's amazing that somebody starts out their bio with, and then I went to Antarctica and spent a year on a research vessel programming an IBM 1130. It's like, oh yeah, that happens. It's like, it's like talking to the world's most interesting man. <laughs> So how many, yeah, I guess my first question is how many languages you said, I think RPG, BAL, and then you discovered APL. Were there any other languages in between the, the ones you first picked up and then uh, before you got to APL? Yeah, I, I mean, Control Data Institute was, uh, remember, it was a 10 month, uh, 10 months, five days a week, eight hours a day. 
And so there were, the course consisted of RPG, COBOL, PL1, um, BAL, Snowball, on both IBM 360, it was a little 4K 360-20 machine on the premises. And then there was time sharing with uh, CDC's uh, 3300 and 6600 uh, machines, which are very unusual, very fast machines for the time, very powerful. Uh, so it was a good kind of sampling. And of course, most of the people in the program were um, older um, and had come from other careers. There were secretaries, there were truck drivers, you know, people who had kind of read the match, the advertisement on the back of the match, matchbook cover, you know, learn computer programming. And, uh, and, and they, they went on to COBOL, mainly I think COBOL jobs for, in, for firms like uh, Prudential Insurance and so forth. And, and, I, and, and when I was at sea, uh, for National Science Foundation, it was a Fortran, um, Fortran and um, 1130 assembler and APL. It, were, it was an APL application for doing satellite navigation. Interesting. And, and so how did, when, when you end up on a boat in Antarctica, for I'm guessing it was a large boat. Uh, uh, not that big. It was an icebreaker. Uh, I guess, uh, I'm not sure, not sure how many tons it was. Yeah, I think there were 60 scientists and maybe 80 or 90 a merchant crew running the boat. That that could be, I could be off by by some fraction, but yeah. Oh, sorry, I interrupted you, please. No, no, no. This, like I said, this is, uh, this is, this is like I'm playing a real life video game. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. Um, uh, and so, and so I'm, I'm curious, did, do they have like, how did you, you, it sounds like you had to pick up Fortran and APL. And then w when you were sort of going through the brief history, you said, you know, this is interesting. Like what I'm always curious as to, you know, what is it for the folks that end up falling down the array language rabbit hole that, um, they've learned a, a you know plethora of languages or a handful of languages, and then they stumble. Usually, it's onto APL first because that was what existed first, and it it just completely you know ensnares certain people. And I'm 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 always trying to figure out what is it that you know that happens to certain people that other folks they just see it and they sort of keep walking because they're you know that looks weird. I don't know how you could keep walking after seeing APL. I mean, for me, uh, it it was the character set. It's so beautiful. APL is just beautiful. Uh, Stephen, you under you know what I'm talking about, right? It's just it's just a it's a beautiful, you know, uh, I, yeah. I I I think a certain number of us, including Arthur Whitney, I won't have a APL character set envy. <laughs> you know, uh, is it superficial? Are these superficial characteristics? What do you think? What do you think? Do you think? Do you think the uh, physical appearance, the 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 physical beauty of the type of the of the font and the way uh, operations uh, it, it, you know, connect up? And do you think that's superficial? Uh, am I being shallow here? <laughs> you know, should I be talking about the profound, you know, the uh, nature of, of 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 arrays and how they the tools of thought and all that? Oh, it's just a beautiful language, and that's what that's what got me. Stephen Taylor. There's a four-letter word which comes up. <laughs> 
quite often in talking about computer science, and it's cool. And the reason I mention it is that within this field, within this domain of discussion, we don't generally acknowledge what a huge uh, component aesthetics is. But when people use the word cool around computer programs, they're talking about aesthetics. It's an aesthetic response. So the response to the character set and the notation, I think, is entirely valid. You see something like the circle overstruck with a style and known that that means both rotate and reverse in APL. It's something inside you just melts and goes, wow. And if you use other languages, as so many of us have to do, and you write things like reverse, or you do a, you invoke an array method to blah, blah, blah. So you, every time you do it, and you know it's going to work, you just want to cry. <laughs> yeah, I think I've mentioned a couple times on this podcast and, and others that I, I haven't actually even... Um, known the meaning of the glyphs for months when using them and then every once in a while i will stumble across some blog that you know just nonchalantly mentions oh and if you you know once you recognize that uh you know what steven just steven taylor just said about the reverse you know that it's reversible it's it's like you almost fall off your chair like uh i think i've said that you know for a long time i thought tally was uh, a really bad sort of glyph until you realize that it was a composition of, you know, the equal underbars and uh, slash. And it was, if you rotate it 90 degrees, it sort of looks like you're keeping track. And it's, as soon as you realize these things, like there's so many, I, I'm not sure if we have like a, a link to a collection of all the different, you know, stories or meanings, you know, the, 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 the spool of thread with Ravel and the power, you know, from Roger Huey's favorite one of the log, like there's so much of this stuff. And I mean, I, I feel like we, we had the exact same, well, not the exact same comment, but um, our last guest, Vanessa McHale, who's a J primary, the uh, Haskell and J programmer, was mentioning that, you know, the, the ability to express yourself so succinctly um, is a part of the power of the language. And it's, so it's the spelling being one or two characters for each of these operations. And I think I even commented that, like, I feel like that's, um, it's it's like, you shouldn't say that as one of the top things, but really it, oh, it, yeah. it, 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 it sounds trivial, but it is actually extremely important and completely changes the way that we use these languages and that, that we think about solving these problems in these languages. Oh, yeah. The, the combination of, of the interactivity, the, the um, what's the word, uh, the, 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 um, the, the way, the, well, uh, the fact that a, a sequence of operations can express a single thought. We, only, we always mention that about APL. You're not breaking, breaking a thought up into multiple lines because the syntax forces you to do that. Um, so you, you can write, and of course, this is a feature that is sometimes overused, often overused, um, especially by beginners who are impressed with the fact that you can write 200 characters in a row and it, it'll process along the way and give you the result you're looking for at the end. Um, but that feature, what, what, what do we call that? The, the, the idea that, that you can express a, a single thought in a single syntactic uh, object. I, I don't know what that... Incatenative programming? I'm not sure. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if there is a term for it. But uh, all all of these features work together, I think, to make uh, 
to make the language the languages so attractive. Uh, I think the, I think APL and J programmers are much more aware of this than K programmers. Um, the uh, the the. I think I think that there's there's a higher degree of sensitivity to these uh, features in in J and APL than in K, uh, but that's just an impression. Do you think there's do you think that's a there's a reason for that? Like I actually haven't fully learned the J the beauty of J in that the dot and the colon represent and sort of like two characters or two categories of different things similar to how. In APL, like you know, the double dot each uh, when that's sort of composed with some other operation, it typically means an operator or something like that. Is is it because of that? Like I, I don't know enough about K to know like if that's something that K doesn't do as much, um, or what what gives you the impression that sort of J and APL programmers uh, like? I think J programmers um, are required to have a more systematic understanding of the. The structure of the language, the different categories, as you say, uh, in order to be good at it. Uh, K programmers uh, can hack pretty. Uh, you know, are, are uh, I, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that that we do, but we can. So it isn't really necessary to to understand the the. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not actually sure. Uh, it's just an impression I have because I don't I don't write J. I don't speak J. Uh, and it's been years since I've done any APL. So do you think it might be because J and to some extent APL as well? I'm not sure how much K has the things like forks or trains or those kind of things where you're actually thinking about combinators. Is it is it more linear than than J? Well, there's a limited number of um, of adverbs in in K, right? There's only six. Uh, over scan prior, uh, each, each right and each left. And each right and each left are kind of dispensable, um, although you wouldn't want to dispense with them. They're extremely useful. Um, so, you, you, and you've only got three categories. You've got nouns, verbs, and adverbs. Uh, Jay has, um, I'm not even sure at this point how many other categories it has. I know it's conjunctions, which we don't have in K. And uh, and just a, a, a it's it's a larger language, much larger language um, than K. So hold on, what do you call the category in K of uh, I don't know, I don't know how to speak about them. Uh, dollar sign question mark at sign and dot. They they're like they're not adverbs, not verbs, and not nouns, right? They're verbs. They're verbs. Yeah, they're verbs. They're verbs, but of course, uh, the the uh, they are um, like dot, for example, has their monad is monadic dot, dyadic dot, and then there's a dot, a version of dot with three arguments, and a version of dot with four arguments. And I think there may even be five, a fifth argument, but I can't remember. I never use it. So. Um, so are they verbs? Well, you know, this this is something, Stephen. You you you. You might want to address the, the 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 distinction between a verb and a function. Um, a, a, my understanding is, and the way I use it, a, a verb is a, a syntactic concept, uh, and a function is a semantic concept. So verbs represent uh, functions, but uh, there's a distinction, right? Is this 
Do you want to elaborate on this, Stephen? Well, I do a little bit because one of the first things I got assigned to do when I was the KX librarian was to clean up the terminology for that because uh, a lot of people with, with much less experience than you were very confused about what it was. And a little inquiry revealed that, not, that some of our most experienced Q programmers not only couldn't give a definition of, a plausible definition of what an adverb was in Q, they couldn't give it in English either. So a metaphor, um, a, an isomorphism, which I think had been had served Ken Iverson very well, um, and I'd noticed that Canadians of a certain generation seem to be extremely well educated about English grammar. They know about concepts in English grammar that, although I'm a fluent speaker and writer of English, I don't know these terms. Um, I think the concept of the of the isomorphism of the noun, verb, adverb, um, which had been useful to that generation, was no longer um, no longer really helping anybody. So, at my boss's insistence, we used we turned the word operator for what people commonly call operators in programming languages. Function now in talking about Q refers to um, operators and lambdas and keywords, anything that anything that takes arguments. Um, verb, you know, I never satisfied myself uh, that everybody who was using those terms previously were using them the same way. I have nothing really to, 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 to add to that, except it, it's always seemed um, pretty obvious to me that noun, verb, and adverb, as I say, are syntactic concepts. So A plus B as an expression has two nouns and a verb. Um, but the, the, uh, the, the so, so, uh, actually in K, this actually makes it, I think, more clear. I don't know if there's an, uh, anything parallel to this in APL or J. But in K, um, if you want to pass, if you want to capture plus, you want to assign a name to it, to, to the, to, you, you, you can say A gets plus. Um, or you can say A gets paren plus paren. And that nominalizes the, the verb, turns it, into, it turns it into a function. You know, if you look at the type of paren plus paren, in K3, it's seven, which is, I'm sorry, it's, yeah, it's seven, which is the type of a, of a lambda as well. So um, the, and in, in, in Q, I think you can even, in Q, yes, you can, you can capture, or K4, you can capture, um, you can nominalize uh, adverbs as well, right? Um, paren slash paren is a, is a, is a, I don't, I don't know what the type, I can't remember what the type system is in Q. But uh, so it seems pretty clear. Um, I, I don't think there's a, uh, a lot of confusion about that. Uh, uh, whether people will, will pick it up and, and, and use that distinction is, is a different question. Well, it brings me to a question I've been wanting to ask you for some time. Um, you, before, when we were talking before we started recording, you mentioned Raymond Smullyan's work, and he's a notorious Taoist as well as mathematician. 
Um, I converted as a young man to Buddhism. I was raised congregationalist before that. Uh, um, but in between, I was a humanist for a while. So I've sometimes described myself as a lapsed atheist. And you, I think from what you're telling us that it'd be fair to describe you as a lapsed Q programmer. You've <laughs> That's true. Fallen back onto K. And that makes you a, a member of a very small community of people who know both languages. I don't count myself among them. Um, the, the official position on K4 is that it's an implementation language. It's not documented. It's not supported. And we don't encourage people to use it. So I, personally, I don't have much experience. And I'm wondering if, what you could tell us about what you see of the relationship between the two languages. Mm. Oh, I only have room in my head for one language at a time. So actually, a couple of a couple of months ago, I, uh, I, I, I tried to implement a, uh, a Tableau system. I was t talking about this earlier, a Tableau system in, in Q. And I just kept, I kept, I <laughs> just, things just kept falling over. Uh, and I realized that it would, it, it, and of course, it, my APL skills are incredibly rusty. You know, I, uh, you know uh, I, I'm always amazed at people who are capable of keeping more than one language in their head at, at the same time and being fluent in more than one language. Maybe some of you are, it sounds like Connor and you're a, you're a poly, polyglot. Uh, very impressive. I don't know how you do it. Uh, so let's see. Um, well, well, Q um, uh, and, and I was a Q programmer for six or seven years when I was at Millennium Partners Hedge Fund. And we used Q extensively. We didn't use K4 at all. Although you could, you could, you could obviously uh, exit into K4. Um, the decision at Millennium was we were going to use Q, and it's a good decision. Um, so, what's the difference? Um, K3 obviously lacks some really wonderful ideas that only appeared first in K4. Um, table data types, transparent dictionaries, you know, you could add dictionaries together. In K3, let's point out, in K3, there are um, ints, floats, symbols, characters. Okay, good. Um, there are lambdas. Um, there are dictionaries, but dictionaries are atomic. So, you can bang a dictionary to get its domain. You can um, you can get its value uh, by saying dictionary bracket bracket. Uh, so you can take a dictionary apart, operate on it, put it back together, which is sort of like enclose disclose in in APL. And and we, you know, as K, K programmers for years said, oh, you know, take take it for granted that you could do that, and that and that's the way you had to deal with dictionaries. The atomicity of dictionaries was taken for granted. So in K four, when dictionaries became um, permeable, um, uh, and uh, and and it was wow, this is this is fantastic. This is tremendously liberating, and it is. It's a wonderful idea. The idea that you could um, flip a dictionary uh, to to is that right? You can do that, right? Flip of a dictionary gives you a table, right? 
if the values in the dictionary are the same length. So that was wonderful. It's a wonderful idea that you could do that. Um, and in uh, the fluid, the fluidity of, of programming, the flow is a concept that I was looking for before that program flow. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I, people talk about this all the time, um, how, how programmers will enter a kind of mental space where ideas just flow. And uh, Arthur talks about it a lot. Um, so these, so, so these features certainly um, contributed to increased flow as does the table dictionary that, that you're going to distinguish a dictionary of vectors or a dictionary of lists from a table. Um, and, and that was, that, that was, and of course the fact that tables are lists, not, 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 not dictionary. So really, and so from my point of view, the Q, K, K4 rationalized a whole set of ideas. I never saw them as, as limiting in K3, because of course, when you work in a programming language, it's a kind of, uh, you know, it's the, it's uh, the, 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 you become, um, or at least some of us, you become ideologically blinded and, and you, you, you know, the limits of the language are the limits of, the, of our world, to quote. <laughs> to quote the greatest programmer of the 20th century. Um, yeah, okay. So, uh, the, so, so it was a revelation um, to, to encounter Q after years of working in K3. I'm trying to remember if this was a, a, was a conversation that I had when Arthur was, in, was developing um, Q. I think it was Q. Yeah, it was Q. Um, he was living in Florida and I went to visit for a while and we had a conversation on the beach where we were talking about, um, talking about, uh, uh, dictionaries as, uh, mappings as, as, as maps. So mapping, you know, a, a domain of, I think in K4, he only allows symbols, right? You, you can't, you can't use anything but symbols for, uh, dictionaries. Am I right, Stephen? I that you can use anything is the key, but it's it's most common to use symbols. For oh, is it is it generalized? I can't I can't remember. Um, so yeah, that that so so I think uh, K four or Q uh, represents um, a a significant significant conceptual and practical um, evolution from K3. Nevertheless, nevertheless, uh, I think there are some rough edges in, in, in Q. Um, I, 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 and some of them have to do with the Q dialect, and some of them I think are intrinsic to K4, but I don't remember what they are. <laughs> uh, so in K3, K3 is a smaller, tighter, more regular language, I believe. So the limitations, so oh, I think once, once you remove the, uh, the, the limitations on a, on a concept, you're obligated, you incur an obligation to, 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 to have that feature uh, generalized 
uh, completely generalized, if there are arbitrary limitations, if you've got some, I'm, you know, being, I'm being very schematic here, but if you introduce some feature and you don't, and, and, but, and you have, well, ah, but there's a footnote, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this, right? Then you think, whoa, wait, wait a minute, you know, wait a minute, you haven't thought this all the way through. So it may be really useful, but you gotta learn the limitations, which is why Q for Mortals is this thick and Don Orth's K3 reference manual is this thick. For, for our listener uh, who can't see the, the, the width between the fingers, uh, the Q for Mortals is about five times as thick. As it seems like from what I can tell by the finger lengths. Uh, the, it, it's a lot long. Well, yeah, it, and it has to be, it has to be. There's just, there's just a lot, it's a much bigger language. I, uh, I, I couldn't, I, look, the, 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 the two most frequent dog-eared sections in my copy of Q for Mortals are the page on types and the page on the functional forms for the various uh, KDB um, uh, operators like select and so forth. So those are really dog-eared because <laughs> I can't remember that stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's another important point that I'm sure, have, have you all seen the K3 reference card? The little accordion card that, that, that we developed at UBS? Uh, Stephen's gonna go grab it right now. So the entire language, you know, can be put on this little tiny reference card and it is complete. There's nothing missing. Yeah, there it is. So, um, so I mean, K programmers don't frequently, they, do, they don't consult any reference material, you know, reference manual, user manual, you learn the language, it's small enough, you get it all into your head and you use it. And I think that's great. Now, I think that's also true for a lot of Q programmers. Was that? Oh, it's, it's the K3 reference manual. Yes. Yeah, K language summary, which fits on what looks just sort of slighter, slightly bigger than an index card. Um, now, I, th I think in, in, uh, in subsequent versions of the language, um, like K9, uh, Arthur has uh, taken uh, K3 as his model and not K4. Uh, and, and yet the, the K, K9 is um, more general uh, than, uh, than, than the last iteration I've seen of K9, which is several months ago, uh, more general than... Um, than K4. So anyway, so the, so I, I don't, I guess I, I, when we're done with this discussion, I'm sure I'll think of like eight different other things that have to do with the differences between the variants and flavors of K. And those are the ones that, that strike me. Um, and of course, K, I mean, uh, K4 is a much more, um, uh, K4, a lot of it has to do with the applications that people are writing. Um, we at, at Millennium Partners, we did not use K of Q as a database language. We didn't use, we, we, we wrote a, um, a distributed P&L system. That was the primary application. Uh, and the data was was not in um, you know it, it didn't use the um, 
I can't even remember the the tools that people use in 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 KDB Plus f uh, for uh, you know, HDB and so forth. We didn't didn't have anything to do with that. So and we wrote a GUI um, for 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 uh, for this for this application. So, but that was really an idiosyncratic use of uh, KDB Plus uh, RFQ. I think I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the uh, Stephen. You're in a much better position than I am to 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 talk about the um, the space, the application space for K4. Well, I think it's very much undervalued as a general purpose programming language. Um, some of the reasons for that are obvious. It's proprietary. You can't, you, uh, can't just download it and use it for free as a general thing. So, you know, there are free versions of it around. Uh, most people who would encounter it would encounter it in fintech large data applications. So there's this huge skew in the, applica in the application space. Um, but this morning I was writing Q to clean up metadata on my Apple Music um, library. It's um, part, of a, part of an exercise to demonstrate this is a really excellent language for hacking. So as a K programmer, um, I mean, my, uh, I think one of the, one of the most um, beautiful uh, uses of an array language is uh, John Scholl's Game of Life uh, video on YouTube. Uh, and uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I've watched it. And I watch it for, you know, I just find it incredibly pleasurable to watch it. It's, uh, to me, it's the, uh, it's the most perfect example of the use of array language, uh, a language to solve a problem. Um, it's like a it's like a short story, you know. It's, 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 you agree? And the uh, the the his work uh, as the dynamic functionista, which is again in a an area that greatly interests me, which is uh, combinator theory, uh, is. Uh, is, is miraculous, and 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 I uh, I did my best to implement uh, a um, to implement a functional programming language, which 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 compiles into uh, a a into 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 uh, Curry combinators, and then I looked at his work, and I said, okay, either or both of the following is true. John Scholes is much smarter than I am. An APL is much more expressive than K. So that was my impression. I still believe both of those propositions. <laughs> um, so, are you are you guys familiar with this 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 uh, this work? Have you looked at it? It's magnificent. It's magnificent. It's just so wonderful. Uh, the uh, I I haven't looked at it now in a couple of years. Um, I don't know where it is on the uh, dialogue web website. Uh, he was working. Uh, it, it, this is when he was the dynamic functionista. Is this does this ring a bell for anybody? Yeah, I mean we'll include a link to it. It's there's a whole article in the APL wiki uh, about that video. Uh, it, it not just the game of life video, but the 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 uh, the, the code that John wrote on on uh, Combinator. 
functional languages and combinators. It's a magnificent. Well, there's lots of things on the there's a defense website uh, that has. Yeah, I will have to I will have to track this down um, because I have not stumbled across this yet, and uh, I actually like my. my I'd say 100 percent, 80 percent of my like free time I've spent over the last you know two months to six months um, tracking down like the the history and lineage of combinators. And I think it's probably one of the uh, le least well-acknowledged, although it's clearly, uh, I, like, I had no clue that John Scholes was doing this, so he's clearly done some work. And you said yourself you tried to write a functional language that compiled down to the um, Curry Combinators, which is both of uh, Miranda, Sassel, and KRC are three different languages that do that, that those are all David Turner's languages. Yes. Um, yes, exactly. And, and, and you know, I... I this is not this is not a an area of special expertise for me it was a you know i i are you are you you guys must be familiar with with this that if you want to learn something in um that's in any way related to sorry if you, they're all, you're always looking for opportunities to learn by by coding. So some people learn differently. They learn very abstractly, uh, and and I'm not one of those people. Uh, and I, I I learn by well, that's an NSL as kind of a record of uh, things that I wanted to understand better. So I implemented them. And I'm not sure it didn't create, it did increase my understanding all that much, although it was very satisfying to do the implementation. And so, com, um, you know, for, uh, I actually first uh, I first learned something about Curry combinators from a um, talk that Raymond Smolian gave at a colloquium at Princeton when I was a student, in which he talked about, um, you know, his. I, I mean, probably familiar with uh, his uh, analogy. The mockingbird, yes, exactly. His birds and uh, uh, combinator birds, which is, you know, quintessentially Smolian. <laughs> so it's kind of playful uh, and very profound uh, way of understanding things. Yeah, no, I think I think um, yeah, it's it's a shame in one sense that Iverson. Because they Iverson and um, Eugene McDonald published a paper in 1989 called Phrasal Forms. Really? And oh, look at this. That is basically the only literature that I can find that um, links combinatory logic and the Curry combinators to array languages. Because mm -hmm. because from there, Iverson goes on to basically rebrand combinators as trains, and he calls the S combinator the hook and the Phi combinator. Uh, the fork and then since then it's sort of the relationship mm -hmm. between array languages and um, combinatory logic has been basically the, the link is implicitly there but just not acknowledged and it's I think that uh, uh, at least APL and J I can't speak as much to to K and Q because I haven't spent enough time with the languages but those are 
I think they're the best languages in the world for doing combinator programming. I don't think there's a programming language out there. There are other programming languages that compile down to combinators, but in terms of languages that actually have support in the forms of functions or glyphs or what have you, um, I, th I think like array languages should be rebranded like modern combinator array languages because they have um, such good support for it. So yeah, I'm, I'm, we're going to have to go. And I, I know that Adam has just linked something uh, uh, to track down this uh, work and writing by John Scholes because um, I know that he was definitely involved in adding some of the combinators to Dialog APL in the last um, you know two decades or so when they started adding them. Um, but I'm not sure, Adam, if you have uh, more info. He was interesting enough. Dialog is the only APL that with long history that has had the jut as a uh, proper operator. So that's a that's a combinator, right? And the I wouldn't surprise be surprised if it was John Scholes who had that uh, pushed for that to be part of the core language um, right from the beginning. And that combinator allows you to express uh, most things. How does it work, Adam? Uh... Well, that's the one that that it take. Well, it is two different things, right? If you give it the if the derived function so f jot d a g is monadic, then it's just uh, I think it's the b combinator just to apply one after another. Mm -hmm. um, and if it's a derived a, a, a dyadic function, then uh, it's it's the left function f uh, that's dyadic. But with the uh, right argument pre-processed by a monadic application okay. of the right function, so um, is it is it used uh, uh, in your experience? Um, do people exploit this uh, combinator in uh, in their code, or is it uh, uh, relatively esoteric? Um, yes and no. I think it's 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 not well understood what exactly how how important it is i think that's that's a problem i think people use it for some simplistic things and then don't realize how it's fundamental to uh combinatorial logic so it's a decombinator when it's uh is the dyadic one and the fact that you can express things uh, just by composing more and more using this, using the decombinator, um, it might not look pretty in the end, but using the decombinator, so this, this, and it was originally in, in, in dialog APL, it was just called compose, right? Not a specific type of combination. It was recently uh, renamed because we're adding so many other um, combinatorial operators. Uh, it's called uh, function composition operators, um, and then it renamed it. But it was just called compose because you can build up every type of composition from this. Uh, I need to take a look at this. At least, at least a monadic thing. You know, you know you, 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 a thought occurred to me as you were talking. Um, this is especially true, I think, for our array languages. You have some operator that appears kind of mysterious, and um, are you drawn to finding uses for it in order to 
find out exactly what it does and what its limits are and how you can. I, I, I think it goes both ways. I mean, but as I mentioned that, I think it's, it's often misunderstood. I think people okay. have kind of a simplistic need and then they, for this particular operator, they'll try to use it and then it works in some cases. In other cases, they just burn themselves and they're like, oh, this didn't do what I expected to go to something else or write it as explicit code. It's not in a tacit form. Um, and it took for me personally a very long time before I realized, oh, that's what it does. It just, it's as simple as the left function, but it pre-processes the right, uh, the right argument with some other function, which, which means that mm -hmm. together with, uh, with other operator that's in, in many modern APLs of uh, commute or, or swap, the swaps the arguments around, being that it can pre-process the right argument and you can swap arguments around, that means you can also pre-process the left one. You just need to swap it over to the right, pre-process, and you can swap it back again. Yeah, yeah. And so by, by swapping and swapping and swapping, you can move things in and out and select parts of an argument and swap around and apply things, and you can build everything up for that. Once I realized that that's, that's all it does, it's just pre-process right. That's a long name for it, I'd give it. Then I started seeing patterns where I would use it. It's not that I would that I looked at the documentation and said, "Oh, hmm, that's what it does," and let me. I need to understand, and, and then I would try using it. I need to understand what is the concept, the thought concept, right? It's, it's notation for for thought. That I, when I have that pattern in mind, then it, oh, then I can then I have that in my in my vocabulary and go say, "Oh, this is exactly what I need," and now I've started using it. So it took years. <laughs> Yeah, it's fascinating, Stephen. Are you? Are you? Uh, when I listen to to Adam um, talk so blithely about a commute operator, <laughs> you know, the, the the K in limiting itself to single character operators forecloses on the possibility of, of having an expansion of primitives. They're, they're, you can't, you know, you cannot fit any more primitive operations into this very limited uh, space, um, very limited syntactic space. Um, and uh, so I, I would love a, a commute operator, but there's no room for it in K. <laughs> and there's no room for the kind of combinators that you describe. Um, so K, especially K3, is a much smaller language with well-defined limits. Um, well, you could write a commute operator, right? Earlier APLs and, and some APLs don't have a commute operator. You can write it yourself. I, I often find it limiting in, in when I have a look at K. It's rare. I'm definitely not an expert or even less than a newbie. And is I can't define my own inline uh, functions verbs, and you can't. Sure you can. Oh, no. I see what you mean. You mean, you mean write them infix. Yeah. Write them infix. And, and I can't. And yes. similarly, I can't really write something that behaves like an adverb. Yeah, I can write a function that takes multiple arguments, of which some right. of them might be functions, right. and I can write a formula in there. But then, the, in my opinion, or my my mind is so limited in its at, in in ability to remember where I'm holding that when I need to put brackets around the arguments and jump back and forth and things aren't right next to each other, then I can't keep track of it anymore. That's right. It's That's right. it's I I people for read by now know me for hating parentheses because I need to have a mental stack whenever I see a parenthesis. I come from the right and now I'm 
that I'm concatenating and that's opening parentheses. I need to remember what is am I concatenating to the right? I might evaluate something on the left before I can concatenate it. I just, I can't handle that. And so, and that I'm missing. So you can write a commute operator, right? It's easy to write in K, but it will. Well, yes, of course. Yes, of course it, it, it is, uh, it, it's easy to write, but um, then as you point out, you're, 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 you're coding. You're not using the primitives. And I meant, I meant that, no, it's an it's one of the advantages of having this kind of unlimited uh, space that 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 the APL character set and any variations that you know any kind of combinations of overstrikes can give you. Um, uh, it's a uh, uh, it, it's a lot of power. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a great deal of power. Um, but that comes great uh, responsibility, it, right? We, I, I was trying to think of how to complete that, but it certainly imposes a uh, it imposes a, uh, a a demand on the programmer. Um, at least it would on me to say I have to learn, I have to master it all. I have to learn this entire language in order to write good code. I would be terrified if I only understood a part of the language. I think. Am I really doing this the best way? Is this the most efficient way to do it? And um, and one rarely, I think, r rarely feels that way in K. It, it often feels that you've got the best possible solution, or one that's closest to you, to to the best possible solution. Here's a, here's an anecdote. I know you guys are not uh, uh, well, Stephen. You'll as a K programmer, you'll you'll get this. Uh, this happened pretty early on at UBS in the development of K. Um, Arthur, who was in the next office, uh, came, came running into my office and he said, look what I found. <laughs> uh, and he found that you could define a lambda that consisted only of x, y, z, x, where x, y, and z were the default arguments to the function. So it was a triadic function. And x, y, z, x over turned out to be uh, a way to write uh, converging selection on a table. And at the same time, multi-column sorting on a table. So there's this function, x, y, z, x. And it does these two completely, or it seemed apparently totally different things. And I think that's one of the one of the the, uh, the beauties of um, of K, at any rate, that uh, that very uh, short and simple um, functions or expressions. Uh, so I'm not expressing this well. One hopes that one will discover some unexpected uh, some unexpected um, piece of some unexpected property of of the language uh, that uh, that some very small bit of code will do something entirely unexpected but interesting and useful and uh, and I think that, that that's one thing. The other thing, and I, I've I've speculated about this, and I don't uh, I don't uh, again I don't know exactly how to express it. But um, 
if you consider, um, I'll, I'll speak very loosely, if you consider all of the short syntactically valid sequences in any of these um, Iverson languages, code sequences, so sequences of length one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, consider all the syntactically valid sequences. How much, it, it, that, that, it, I, I would expect that to be a very dense, uh, very dense in that you'd find a lot of really useful and interesting functions in, in that set, uh, supplied with correct ar uh, arguments, of course. And I've often wondered how much was there waiting to be discovered that, uh, you know, that we don't, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't anticipate, we wouldn't say, oh, you know, these five characters given these arguments will do this function that up till now I've been, you know, writing much, you know, having much, writing a lot more code to do. So that's, um, that's a, of, of interest to me. My father told me that uh, early on in APL days, conferences and other APL events, or, or maybe it was even in, in various newsletters, they would explore this, the, the dot operator in the APL, the inner product, and, and say that there are all these static functions and there, then this, you combine two of them, two of them with the yeah. dot operator, what does this do? That's it. Yes, exactly. 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 Bob, were you going to say something? Well, I was going to say that I think sometimes the magic happens when you get um, something like that in the language, and it's actually not just something that you didn't know the language could do, but it illuminates the way something else works. So when you didn't think two things were related, suddenly you realize they are related, and now you have a whole different viewpoint of what you're doing with it. And, and it's the language that's introduced that kind of a, a dual view of it. And, and to me, whenever that happens, that's like a put my pencil down and go for a walk and come back again, because it's just, whoa, too much. So perhaps, perhaps the, the um, highly discredited Sapir-Whorf hypothesis, which doesn't apply to natural languages, applies to programming languages. <laughs> uh, uh, in that it conditions the way we think and how we think. Uh, well, maybe that is, yeah, that, I think that's largely true. Yeah, I certainly find it true that I, I do find my language limits my ability to come up with concepts. And I mean, in the last couple of years, what I've worked on more is trying to work beyond a language. So I'm thinking more about things that are not expressible by language. And that's a very... Um, challenging but liberating thing to get into if you if you oh wait no could you say that again you're 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 thinking about what translinguistic concepts or translinguistic ideas yeah it's, it's sort of more in the the realm of meditation you start thinking about a tone because you can't express a tone with language and you focus on the tone and then you try and think about how you're experiencing a tone um without language and it starts to open up what language is actually limiting you to because uh, you're now thinking about a, something that can't be expressed with language uh, it reminded me uh, a friend of mine uh, aaron siegel who teaches philosophy at hebrew university in jerusalem is this semester he has a uh, 
uh, a seminar on ineffability, which strikes me as something right up your alley. You know, the, the, uh, the, the, the territory of meaning that goes, um, that's inexpressible. And um, as a Taoist, I'm sure Stephen is uh, conversant with this idea. But you, weren't you saying that it's only not expressible in in our normal human languages, whereas you can express a tone that cannot be written, and you can possibly express something in an array language that cannot otherwise be pronounced? Uh, a tone is a. <clears throat> are you are you by tone you mean a musical tone, Bob? Yeah, a tone or a frequency. I mean, it doesn't have to be musical. Mm -hmm. It's it's something that would not normally be expressible like you express it how you how you experience it is you know you listen to a musical tone that's the experience of it you don't describe it usually in terms of language to experience it and you know the uh i think of two composers uh Scriabin and messian who uh who were uh re reported you know tones notes having color or being colored uh and 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 i don't experience that that's not you know the, the mapping from one sensory domain to another it's not but you probably experienced it as a as a visual artist um the relationship between musical tones and no, I'm thinking more in terms of, of when you when you were a visual artist, there were things that were beyond what you would be expressing with language because you were expressing visually, yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. I didn't, I didn't think of them as ideas or concepts, you know, not to... Because I, I, I find the idea of, a, uh, of an inexpressible concept to be a contradiction in terms. A c concepts are in, intrinsically linguistic or or at least capable of linguistic language you know expressions um concepts but there are other non-conceptual cognitive uh entities i guess you'd call them that that feelings for example a feeling isn't a concept uh and so uh that that's but if it's it's a if it's conceptual it's it's expressible i want that's almost I don't know what it would mean to have an inexpressible concept, um, but um, the game I usually play is on the boundaries of things. So it's I think you're right. I think by the time you've got a concept, you've got something that's expressible in language. But I, I like to go to the edge of that and find out what's there. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, I find it interesting. <laughs> I'm not sure whether our listeners well, that's will. <laughs> that's a very interesting. I, I, yeah. I think this all goes quite beyond. Uh, although this is what array programmers think. Actually, exactly. <laughs> Arthur, Arthur. This is this is what array programming feels yeah, like. Yeah, like Arthur Whitney used to say that our languages are so productive that 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 we we array programmers uh, have lots of time to waste on other things. So, <laughs> this conversation is reminding me of an interview with a Swedish poet, also Beth who at uh, one point in the interview uh, says, forget about your readers. 
forget about self-expression. It sounds so much better in Swedish. Fuit polesna. Fuit. Poetry, poetry is research into the unfathomable. That's, I, 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 I like that. I like that. Uh. And it enables us to make connections in the way that we were talking about. Well, we hadn't seen connections before. And I guess it's why Shelley called poets the unacknowledged legislators of the world. So re this is really a stretch. I'm reaching out for connections which may not exist. Stephen, I know you're a, or at any rate for some time, were a very keen on Krav Maga. And I'm wondering if there's anything in your experience of Krav Maga that uh, you relate to programming in K. Only that, only that, that martial arts allows one to forget for a moment or more than a moment about programming and philosophy. And, you know, that's, I mean, as a very much an amateur, I mean, just not as the worst student in my class, I will say, <laughs> I just forget about, you know, turn off the mind. Which is uh, it's a good habit to get into, isn't it? Uh, Sounds like flow. It is a kind of flow. Oh, it's absolutely a kind of flow. Well, I think sparring and grappling, uh, which I was grappling, I was terrible at. Um, but that, yes, definitely, that's uh, that's all about flow. All about flow. So, flow is good. We like flow. We like flow as programmers. We like flow in uh, in, all, in all aspects of our lives. Whatever you know, it's a very general concept, where things just you're just totally identified with the activity you're engaged in, and you disappear. You disappear. There's only the activity. You are the activity. So it leads me to wonder whether there are there's value in the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> value in not achieving flow. And I think there probably is. I think that. It's, I, I think there definitely is, because I think that's where, I think flow is when you're, you've reached that state where you can, your practice is uh, internalized and it's, you're just expressing as, as it comes out. But I think to get there, you have to have broken it down. And I think, I think you have to get away from flow to break something down. This is a very good insight. I like this a lot. And I think it does describe, uh, it does describe exact, exact, it's exactly right. Thank you. That's good. <laughs> I fluked it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that. Yeah, teaching is the complement of flow. Ah, hmm. oh, okay. The obverse, yeah. And it involves struggle and failure. And, uh, all right? Which, yeah. Because we all know people who seem to be naturally good at one thing or another, and as a consequence, are utterly unable to teach to anyone else. That is, yes. Yeah, I keep saying that. Yes. I'm, I like this conversation. <laughs> this is very good. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Well, I'll say because we have flown by uh, the hour mark, and this has been, you mentioned, I think it was a couple minutes ago, um, turning off the mind or something, and uh, this conversation has done the exact opposite of that. My mind is exploding right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to have uh, met, and of course, I know Stephen, so glad to have met the three of you. And I uh, hope uh, we can continue to to talk and engage and exchange ideas. Yeah, you, you will have to promise to come back on because I feel like we haven't even really talked about all the different projects on the site. I mean, um, you have a whole like longer than 30 years, but, you know, starting from sort of when you met Arthur Whitney, I'm guessing that was sometime in the 80s and That's A, a right. plus. Yeah. You have this journey from APL to A plus to k to q back to k or i'm not sure if yeah no that's right k3 uh and so yeah you have a, a very um i mean i think the array language path is is uh not as commonly traveled it's a it's a seldom traveled path these days by um sort of people picking up programming languages but in in terms of those that have over the fast the last few decades um you have a very very unique um path and um, i'm not sure how many folks are able to tell stories about going to visit Arthur Whitney on the beach in Florida. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah, I'm very jealous. Uh, uh, yeah. So you'll have to promise to come back cause I, I still have Love to. A, a billion questions and I'm, I'm going to be going and, and researching everything I can now about, uh, John Scholes and your, um, your curry combinator language. Was that just a, a project or can that be found on your website as well? Or, Oh yeah, it's on my website. It's called Slack. Uh, it's Steve, it's, Steve's lazy combinator K. Is that right? Steve's lazy combinator K. Uh, and it's an implementation of, uh, I can't remember who, what the, 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 there's lots of stuff in that domain. There's Slack, there's a whole bunch of other stuff on combinators. Uh, and uh, yeah, so you'll find it all, all there. And uh it's unfortunate in a way that it's uh, all written in K3. Although, uh, if you're, uh, I have a K a K3 interpreter for Windows, and one for Mac. If you're interested, you can uh, you can get that from me. Yeah, this sounds like. Uh, I mean, I've been trying to simultaneously learn APL, uh, J, oh. and BQN, and, and K is just it's been at the the edge, uh, but now I guess I, I have motivation to go and, and learn this as the fourth one. Uh, um, I have, a, I have, this is, I don't think I've mentioned this before, but one of my goals over the next two years is to write a multi-directional transpiler between all uh, three dialects. I'm, I'm not sure how easy it would be for K, but the idea is that you write APL or BQN wow. and it will simultaneous, simultaneously like write the equivalent expression. Like it'll be limited because obviously they're not isomorphic. That's an interesting um, idea. That's a real interesting but idea. But like it would be, at least for me, an incredibly useful teaching tool that like if you did it correctly and just start with a few small expressions, uh, you could just write once in APL or BQN and then uh, what I might not actually be able to know how to write easily in J, if I get the, the Lego components correct, um, I can just write it in APL and then see the equivalent and uh, if I open source it, then, you know, a bunch of, you know, actual J experts and BQN experts could go and because um, it would it'd probably just be some dictionary lookup thing. Uh, and so if there's nicer ways to do something in J that I'm naively converting from APL to J, you know, Bob could come along and be like, oh, no, actually, this is the idiomatic way. And um, it, it's like a kind of a pipe dream project. But um, 
the point here being is that now K clearly has to be added because uh, I need to go. <laughs> I need. I, <laughs> uh, that's a, this is a, sounds like a very big yeah, project. Yeah, it would be. Um, I mean, conversations like these, I don't usually say this on air because, you know, my employer might be listening. But like whenever I have these types of conversations, I always tell myself, you know, I should just go quit my job and just study for two years because like clearly <laughs> like I'm wasting my time working when I should be learning uh, but you know, life life requires being able to pay for stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll just yeah we'll wrap things up by just saying once again yeah thank you so much uh, Stephen After for coming on. This was uh, like I said uh, yeah this is like a better than a Marvel movie and I love Marvel movies but this is uh... great pleasure for me. Thank you thank you for for inviting me. I really enjoyed myself. Yeah, we look forward to having you back at some point in the future. And uh, with that, we will say happy array programming. <laughs> happy, happy array, array programming. programming. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.